Welcome to the Hirschfeld Century Podcast. I am Katherine Eastman, the Archives Manager of the Al Hirschfeld Foundation, and in just a moment you will be hearing a conversation between Creative Director David Leopold and our special guest Howard Sherman. This episode is dedicated to our newest online exhibition, It Goes So Fast, Our Town by Hirschfeld, which was guest curated by Howard Sherman. Just as a quick reminder, make sure to swipe up to the show notes for this episode. There you'll find a direct link to this online exhibition so that you can follow along with the images as they're mentioned in this episode. Howard Sherman is a theater administrator, writer, and advocate. He has been executive director of the American Theater Wing and the O'Neill Theater Center, managing director of Jiva Theater, general manager of Goodspeed Musicals, and public relations director of Hartford Stage. He is also interim director of the Alliance for Inclusion in the Arts. Since 2012, he has been the U.S. columnist for the Stage newspaper in London, and in 2018 was named contributing editor of Stage Directions magazine. His new book, Another Day's Begun, Thornton Wilder's Our Town in the 21st Century, explains how this American classic has the power to inspire, heal, and endure in the modern day, on stage and beyond. Howard's book shines a light on the play's continued impact and makes a case for the healing powers of Wilder's text to a world confronting multiple crises. Through extensive interviews with more than 100 artists about their own experience of the play and its impact on them professionally and personally, Another Day's Begun shows why this particular work remains so important, essential, and beloved. We're here with Howard Sherman uh, today, the author of Another Day's Begun, Thornton Wilder's Our Town in the 21st Century, that has been published by Methune Bloomsbury, um, a book that everybody should get. And Howard has a terrific, it, the book is terrific in showing how this play that was the first debuted in 1938 about life 30 years before that or 40 years before that still seems so real and, and uh, uh, irrelevant uh, to audiences today. Um, he's, we're going to talk about uh, our town in the 21st century, but what Howard has done for us in our new online exhibition is pull together images of, uh, that Hirschfeld drew of our town in the 20th century. And we're going to learn a little bit about that. The beginning of his book sort of gives you a, a wonderful history uh, of our town in all of its many forms. Uh, it, it started on Broadway, but soon mushroomed out into every other medium that one could imagine. Um, and we're gonna talk about the, um, obviously the drawings and the exhibition. Um, as always, you this is a easy one. While we'll put links in the show notes, all you have to do is go to our new exhibition. It goes so fast, Our Town uh, by Hirschfeld. Um, that is on our website. Just go to the exhibition page and click right on it. Um, and you will see 10 drawings that Hirschfeld did over um, about 60 years of different Our Town productions. He saw every Broadway uh, production and drew all but the City Center revival in, what was that, 1940, 41? 44. 44. 44. Um, but uh, he drew every other Broadway revival um, as well as some TV productions that we'll talk about. Um, so Howard, thank you very much for coming on. 
I think the first drawing I'd like to talk about, um, because I think it goes to the heart of how our town sort of uh, entered the American culture, is in a drawing that we have uh, titled uh, The Borscht Circuit. Um, which shows a 1939 production of um, uh, uh, not of a broad, the Broadway production, but of a summer theater production. Um, Hirschfeld spent a good part of 1938, the summers of 1938 and 1939, going to summer theater productions. He understood that not all broad, not all theater happens on Broadway, and certainly in the summertime at that in those years, none of it happened on Broadway, pretty much. Uh, so. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what, uh, yeah, you know, he, I, I, within a year of the Broadway uh, premiere, how it was sort of getting out into the world? Well, it got out in the world pretty quickly. The, the show ran, I mean, we think of major works like Our Town as having run for years and years. But in those days, running a season was a hit. Yeah. Our Town ran from February through the beginning of November. It, and that was a hit production, that, that, those nine months. It then went out on national tour. There were actually, at times, a couple of different tours going on. But by April of 1939, it was opened up for licensing. And in the first 18 months or so, there were 650 productions of Our Town in the U.S. and abroad. You have to remember that theater in the United States at that point was primarily Broadway and national tours and community theater. Mm -hmm. The regional theater movement, as we think of it, there were a few regional theaters by then. Cleveland Playhouse dates back to, I think, 1910. But it wasn't the same situation. So community theaters, schools, all took up this play so rapidly. And summer theater, which was often usually professional theater, um, certainly was was a place for it. And in fact, Wilder himself began performing in summer of 1939 as the stage manager. And he would go out and, and play various summer theaters, having played the part for two weeks during the original Broadway run. So it was not unusual, especially if you were in the Northeast, to, to find Thornton Wilder in your local summer theater play in his own play. I find it fascinating to read some of the, the letters that he wrote to Gertrude Stein as he's doing it. I mean, it just seems so incongruous that, you know, this very American play that seems so simple and direct is really, Gertrude Stein would understand it exactly. And of course he was great friends with her. Well, he was great friends with her, and he, he he talked about her inspiring the play or or basing it on some of her ideas. The fact is, our town's deceptively simple, right? And rooted in so much theatrical history and theory and what was going on in the world around him. So even though the vehicle seemed very simple, it was steeped in everything from classic Greek literature to to ancient Japanese theater and other Asian forms up through the present day. His concerns that he's really getting at in the play have nothing to do with the specificity of Grover's Corners itself or frankly, America. 
if this right. play were solely a play that spoke to Americans, it would not be done abroad as much as it was from the moment it began. The, the specifics of Grover's Corners help to ground the play somewhere. It doesn't all take place in limbo, the way part right. of the play seems to. Right. Um, but if, especially nowadays, if you're stuck with the idea of Grover's Corners in 1905, 1910, then it may be focusing less on what Wilder really wanted people to be thinking about. You know, it's funny. I have found, in some ways, when you I hear you describe it, it makes me think of Hirschfeld because his work is deceptively simple, but pulls on Greek vases, uh, and uh, uh, he's a real uh, international stew of influences. You know, this sort of French line uh, that he saw in, in French illustration and. Germany, uh, the influence of uh, the Central American graphic art through Miguel Covarrubias and and all and and, and Japanese woodcuts. So in, in some way, I, I felt like um, when I when I read uh, what you have to say about um, how this simplicity is so impactful, it made you know um, Hirschfeld centric. I apologize. Um, it made me think of how his work was so successful because. At first we think, oh, it's this. And then the more time we spend with it, we realize it's a much bigger truth. Uh, much, uh, it has much more to say to us. Well, it's so interesting. Every time I come across early Hirschfelds, mm -hmm. it's always fascinating because he, his style emerged over time. He, to a degree, was working in, in a look that was not entirely dissimilar from other caricaturists, artists who were working commercially, especially writing you know, about the arts in his day. If you look at that first uh, image in, in the exhibition, you'd have to stop. Most people would say, is that a Hirschfeld? It's not quite as instantly recognizable. Right. He, he distilled his art, I mean, to to such clarity and such simplicity. And while Wilder achieved that perhaps earlier in his career, because he was still a fairly young man when, when he wrote Our Town, that's what Our Town is. It's, it's a distillation of life into its basics, its utter basics. This is the way we were in our growing up and in our marrying, and in our living, and in our dying. Everyone experiences that, in most, right. except for the marrying. But everybody grows up, everybody lives, everybody dies. And that's what's at the core of our town. It is, it is a clean, expressive line. That, that happens to be my favorite line in the play. But, but I think it applies here that, that you know, I certainly was looking at Hirschfeld drawings from the 70s. And I think by then the style was well established, sure. but but it wasn't always about being ornate. That's where I love seeing like some of his, I, I can't be, I, I, this is where I'm ignorant, whether they were watercolors or whether some were oils, but I love seeing his color work, oh, which, yeah. which we don't see enough of. You know, people my age are used to seeing the drawings in the times, but but he did he did other work in other ways.
Yes. Well, I mean, I'm sure as you found in your research, there are people who know the types of our towns that, you know, the, uh, um, a certain kind of our town that is very sort of rigid and it's what well, we're going to follow the stage directions exactly. And then there's others who take that as a starting point. Um, and with Hirschfeld, it's kind of the same thing. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to it. Uh, while you were looking at all those drawings in the times on Sundays, there were other people who were looking at the TV guide covers or the movie posters. Oh, I certainly, I, you know, it's funny. I, I would have seen those as well, but probably didn't I don't remember making the connection when right. I was in my teens. Right. But we certainly got TV guide every week and I certainly read it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of adaptations, one of the things that I really learned uh, from reading your book and uh, reading what you had to write about it, um, the, of course, it was made into a film. You talk about the radio versions, which some of which I've heard, um, uh, but it was this TV production with Frank Sinatra as the stage manager and Paul Newman and uh, Eva Marie Saint as uh, as the kids in in our town as Emily and uh, uh, John and um, I, I that was all new information to me I, I I really didn't know about that production why don't you tell us a little bit about that and sort of the lasting impact of that. Our Town was done rather frequently for television, especially in the days when television was live and while it could be recorded on what they called kinescopes, which were literally setting up uh, a movie camera in front of a TV that was showing the program, uh, a lot of the really early stuff was lost. And in fact, the first three Our Towns that were done for television, one with Raymond Massey as the stage manager, one with Edward Arnold as the stage manager and one with Burgess Meredith in the role, mm. literally don't exist anywhere. Can't find them because in fact, by contract, they weren't allowed to be recorded That's because amazing. of the film rights that had to be released. So the first extant television adaptation of Our Town is this 1955 musical by a fairly new songwriting team of Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen who became, who, who were regular uh, composers that, that did songs for Frank Sinatra. And so there was, in this era where there was a lot of theater on television, television was so new that, that recording theater or theater-like productions was commonplace, there was this musical uh, called Our Town by Kong Van Heusen. It ran 90 minutes. It had, as you've already said, uh, Eva Marie Saint and Paul Newman as Emily and George. Uh, Newman was not the greatest singer in the world. Uh, <laughs> Eva Marie Saint was better. She was not necessarily Broadway caliber. And Frank Sinatra, as we know, could sing. And it's actually, I'd heard, because it's not widely seen or widely available, I'd been hearing about it for years and heard it was terrible. Right. And in fact, it's not terrible. It's not brilliant, but it's actually a pretty good representation of the play. There's a lot of the Wilder still there. What's the most fascinating thing to me is I would bring up to almost everyone I interviewed the fact that this existed. I do this at the end of an interview. Right. And 
And they would say sort of what you said, that they're sort of fascinated to know that it exists. They didn't know anything about it. And then I would say, okay, you've never heard of this. You didn't know it existed. I have just told you. And they're like, yup, yup. I said, so you know one of the songs from it. And they'd look at me or over the phone, there would be a pause and said, really? And I said, do you remember the names of the acts in our town, which the stage manager says at the beginning of act two, he says, the first act was called daily life. This act is called love and marriage. And I would say, do you know a song called love and marriage? And to a person, American, British, people born in, in Asia, it, it was amazing. Every single person knew wow. love and marriage. And I made them sing the first few lines to be absolutely <laughs> sure. But it goes to something that I get at early in the book, which is that our town is so influential that there are people who know things related to our town and they don't even know where they came from. Right. And right. If, if now granted, Love and Marriage got a huge boost because it was the theme song to the sitcom Married with Children in the right. 80s. So that gave it a new life 30 years after it was it was first out there. But people who were in the show, who had done the show, as soon as they wait, whoa, Love and Marriage. Oh my God. So it, it's, it was fascinating. And the reviews of the, the television version of the musical was, were good. Uh, one critic, I think, wrote, hope it will become a perennial. It was seen once and it was never done mm. again. You cannot license that version. And really? so unless you can find an archive that has a copy of it. I watched it several times at the Paley Center here in New York. Well, I've Probably actually looked online me. and you can see it on YouTube. The, uh, the whole thing? Uh, hour and 16 minutes is on there. That, that is, oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. right then. Uh, uh, yeah, I actually just from reading your book and reading what you had written about it, I started thinking like, I wonder if there's a clip or something that you could see. And we're going to put a link on the in the exhibition oh, so great. people can, you know, if they want to, they can go take a look at that. I just I found it this morning and I was like, oh, my God, I get this is something to watch. I really want to see this. Yep. No, it's it's definitely worth a look. In contrast to um, there were a number of radio productions that had been done right. of the play prior to this prior um, and some still once television versions had begun, but they were all cut to an hour. Right. And time, time made for commercials. So if you didn't actually know our town, you were getting a very truncated, very simplified version of, of our town. But that was with Wilder's uh, cooperation, almost all of them. Wilder was in the 1946 one, right. which is available on YouTube. I know that's there. So people can go listen to Thornton Wilder play the stage manager. But characters would be cut, scenes would be cut right. um, in order to, to fit it in. And it wasn't until there's a terrific 1957 Voice of America version that's really the best radio our town. And frankly, I worked really hard to hunt that one down and found it, I think a month before I had, had to hand in the first draft. 
Oh, really? Interesting. So. Um, well, it was still being done. I mean, there was a film made and somehow it became the play that you did in high school. I mean, that everybody did in high school at some point. Which I didn't. No, like uh, I was in high school theater. My high school never, I mean, that's my story is my high school never did it. Mm -hmm. uh, in the time I was there, I don't remember it having been done before I got there. And my sister was at the same high school afterwards and I don't remember hearing about it. And I didn't actually see the play till I was 26 years old. So mm -hmm. I'm, and what I found is there is this assumption that everybody knows our town, everybody either had to do it in high school or had a friend who did it in high school and everybody right. knows our town. And again, in the process of interviewing 110, 115 people, I really should count and remember exactly. But um, there were people who were very sheepish because my opening question, the only question that I asked every single person other than whether they could sing Love and Marriage was what was your experience of or knowledge of our town prior to this production that you were in? And people would be incredibly sheepish about saying, well, in truth, I'd heard about it, but I'd never seen it. And in some cases, people would say they avoided it. Right, so right. as widespread it has been, it is believed to be one of the most produced American plays ever it still managed to escape a lot of people. And certainly until I was 26 years old, it escaped me. Wow. So, so everybody thinks they know our town. And I think part of the problem is with our town now is that people do want to say, oh, it's a high school play, or they want to say it's an old fashioned play. It's a, it's a play, it's a, a tribute to the past. And those are not, accurate assumptions about it right. as as looking you know because i focused on productions in the last 20 years i had the benefit of seeing certainly some traditional productions but some which while remaining utterly faithful to the text explored it visually and with different emphases in ways that would open up the text so that it didn't feel like you were doing something from antique days mm. yeah it, it always seemed to me that uh, the spare setting is a precursor to something like waiting for godot you know we tend to think of that as the tipping point but uh here thornton wilder had uh, you know had again like hirschfeld sort of purged all the unnecessary detail out of it so you could really focus in on what he was trying to say Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Godot because Gregory Mosher, who directed the 1988 Broadway production yeah. that Lincoln Center did, um, when, when drawn by Hirschfeld. Gregory was running it with Spalding Gray as the stage manager and drawn by Hirschfeld and Penelope Ann Miller as Emily. And yeah, there's that great, very detailed, lots of people mm -hmm. in that drawing. Um, I spoke to, to Gregory uh, about the play, even though... It was outside of the time frame, but it seemed important. And frankly, I've got enough from him. I could I could write a <laughs> terrific article. But but he said of the relationship between Wilder and Beckett, between our town and waiting for Godot. Now, quoting him, Wilder anticipates the deaths of 60 million, said Mosier. 
Beckett responds to the deaths of 60 million people because what came between these two plays? World right. War II. Right. And part of some of the misreading of our town, that it's it's about preserving the past, that Wilder was writing this mostly in Europe in 1937 when Hitler's right. rise to power was fairly unchecked. He certainly knew what was going on in the world. So why would a man as educated and knowledgeable and informed as Wilder was write this play at that time? And what did it mean? And it wasn't to be the way Oklahoma became. Oklahoma was the play that made you long for the musical that made you long for home. It's right. the show that, that the soldiers all wanted to see you know, on their way right. overseas or as soon as they got back. Our town isn't quite a comforting play if right. it's done correctly. It would all be called the play shocking and brutal right. uh, when it's done right. So, so it's, it's fascinating when you look at it at its place not in just in theatrical history, but but in world history and what was going on around it. And what was going on around it was some pretty difficult stuff. I think it's interesting that our town and God Bless America appear uh, at the sort of roughly same time. Uh, you talk about Kate Smith talking about going to see our town and loving it. And that's in February or April, I forget. And then on November 11th of 1938, she introduces God Bless America for the first time. And it becomes this, uh, again, this, uh, this thing that everybody rallies around. You know, there was this sense of uh, shared, I, I wouldn't say sacrifice, but just that we're in this together that I think is, uh, is so um, important in our town. You know, there's, there was a, a feeling there's, there's no question that it was an era, I mean, the U.S. was not in the war yet. Uh, we, were, we were a couple of years away. There was a certain amount of isolationism going on that we sure. wanted to stay out of those European conflicts. But Kate Smith, as you say, who, who talked about how wonderful the play was right about the same time that that, that recording came out, was almost in response to what Eleanor Roosevelt had said about yeah. the play, which is that she thought it was very well done, but all in all, she found it a, a sort of depressing evening. And so you had the first lady saying, I don't know about this play. It's sort of hard to, to sit through. And then you have someone, one of the few people, she certainly wasn't the wife of the president, but, but in popular imagination, Kate Smith, came out and even as she was singing God Bless America was was sort of countering what Mrs. Roosevelt had said. Right. Which is which is indicative of the fact that our town was not universally acclaimed right. in its early run. Not all works are recognized in their time. Not all works are recognized necessarily by the critics. It right. certainly caught on with the people, but but there were definitely naysayers. Um, but it has stood the test of time, which is which is quite extraordinary. Probably there, there's only a handful of other American plays that I can think of in the 1930s that are at all produced with any regularity, let alone the frequency of our town. Um, you know, really, I think besides O'Neill, you have George Kaufman's works, 
um, uh, you can't take it with you was probably that other play that everybody was in in high school in mid to late 20th century. Uh, and uh, it, it has a completely different uh, viewpoint, but it goes to essential human truths, I think. Well, it's interesting. I'm not convinced it does have a different viewpoint. I, I, I yeah. actually have written a piece about this, um, which has not yet been published, but, but I was looking Folks, at- you're getting it here first. Yeah, I was looking at the, the two plays because they are the only two plays that have been in the top six most produced plays in high school theater every decade from the 1940s to the 2010s. Yeah. It's, they're the only ones that are there decade after decade. And, and I started to think, well, why those two? I sort of get our town, but you look on the surface, okay, they can both accommodate large casts, but you can't mm -hmm. take it with you, requires a set of right. typically right. a multi-level set. Our town doesn't, it's our town done in part because it's cheap and easy. So there's no difference there. One is an absolute comedy and one is a plays with nostalgia, but really for the purpose of getting us to consider what we are getting out of life. But what is, you can't take it with you. What does that statement yeah. mean? That statement, what, what they've done in that family as wackily and crazily as possible is said, we are not going to be restricted by the limits of conventional life right. because we can't take it with us. So we are going to experience life as fully as possible. It's, it's, it came two years before our town, but the two of them are really interesting to look at together to say, what were people thinking in and starting to come out of the depression about how we perceived what we should get out of life. And certainly if it was money, we'd just been proven the risks of, of making that our reason for being, even though in our town, uh, Rebecca Gibbs says there's nothing she loves more than money. And her mother says, you know, you need to use your money. You need to be able to enjoy it. So I think there are some similar themes running to those pieces and they make for really interesting bookends. Yeah, uh, I, I will agree with you. Uh, um, I think that Kaufman and Hart do it a lot more through comedy, obviously, uh, than uh, Wilder did. But yes, they are. They, they go. They go. To, well, I think those plays uh, uh, still seem relevant as they talk about the human condition and, and human nature. And while our devices change, human nature doesn't change all that much. No, I mean, I think what's so interesting about our town is as, as I have for the past couple of years, thinking about it every day, there are so many strands of drama or, or drama uh, theater and film, and you can always connect our town to so many of them, because there was also this, this sort of fascination with what happens to us when we pass away and what is the meaning of death in life. In the book, I talk about 
the play On Borrowed Time, which opened the night before our town. And it is literally a play in which death is a character and mm -hmm. death is tricked into stopping anyone from dying. And how that resolves, how, is, how do you relate that to our town in which we see an afterlife portrayed? And there are other pieces like that. You can look at Although Death Takes a Holiday was originally an Italian play. It right. was adapted. Um, movies like A Matter of Life and Death and uh, Outward years, Bound. Uh, Outward Bound, which is very popular. Yeah. Um, so, so Our Town fits into so many different things. I haven't worked out the Our Town Eugene O'Neill co connection yet, but <laughs> but I I think I need to. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. I want to talk about uh, one more drawing in the exhibition, Great. which is the last drawing, which is of Paul Newman as the stage manager. You point out that he is the only actor in this uh, collection of drawings that is in two drawings at, in two different roles. Um, well, we have the drawing from the 1955 TV version. Mr. Hirschfeld right. drew advertising for it. Right. Uh, very specifically, and then when when Paul Newman played the role first at the Westport Country Playhouse and then moving to Broadway, uh, he was depicted again. So you have Paul Newman at 30, I think he was when he did the television version, and Paul Newman in his 70s in, in the other largest, the largest male role, uh, typically male role in the show. So it's, I mean, it's a reminder of when we have the opportunity to look through Mr. Hirschfeld's work, how he himself was a recorder of theatrical history. We think of theater as evanescent and fleeting and either you saw it or you didn't. What are we left with? Well, First of all, especially given age, we're, we're left with reviews. We're left with what people thought about it. Perhaps in those or in feature stories and interviews of the time, we get uh, a version, an understanding of, of the effect of the play, not as filtered through a sense, particular sensibility. Mr. Hirschfeld's drawings are their own archive of theatrical history and and, you know, as I was researching before you and I had any conversation about this exhibition, I would be going through articles and suddenly I remember happening upon the, the Henry Fonda drawing right. from, from 69. And I, because in a lot of archives, you can't use copiers. So you, so you have to take pictures of things you want to keep. Sure. And I took a picture of it and I said, it's 1969. I can't really do much with it. But. I just want to have it. I just want to be able to look at it. Uh, and, and that kept coming up as I kept finding these, these drawings that Mr. Hirschfeld had done that, that accompanied these, these are towns over the years. I, it's, I mean, obviously it wouldn't have been possible, but oh, if he had been able to draw David Cromer from, yeah. from David's 2010 production, which was, which was so important because that drawing would be would be right there in this continuity and you mentioned the city center production the city center production had a different playwright 
as the stage manager. Right. Mark, Mark Connolly yeah. played the stage manager. Mark Connolly also did the play in London, in its London. Right. So, I mean, we have so much for Mr. Hirschfeld, but yeah, there's absolutely those moments you go, oh, I wish you'd gotten yeah. that one. But we Welcome to, remember, to our world. <laughs> you know, he wasn't he wasn't just sitting there drawing whoever he wanted. He was he was taking assignments. He was taking right. gigs, and it was who he was asked. Right, but what he did was he got an assignment and saw it through his distinct point of view, um, which is to our benefit. You know. Yeah. Uh, no, it was an interpretation. We always have to understand. I mean, clearly they weren't photographs. Right. They were how he saw the show and i do remember um when in the 80s handing him tickets to shows when i was a publicist just out of college right and and gosh he saw everything yeah and he would have seen it uh he would have seen david cromer's production not like oh it's not as good as 38 or not as good as 69 he would have seen it in that he went to the theater to see what was happening today not to compare it with, you know, he was very different from a lot of his contemporaries who thought about the past. He didn't think about the past at all. You know, he, it wasn't of any interest to him. Was, well, when uh, you consider that he came from the era of Brooks Atkinson and, and some of the great, you know, writers of theater of sure. their day, he spanned so much. How many people get the opportunity? How many people stay active? Right. In their life and in their recording of a field, the way Mr. Hirschfeld did, it's not very common. And right. No, there was nobody like him before him. And there's been nobody like him. after him. Um, We have a very little time left, but I want to talk about uh, the shows that he didn't see. I mean, we've talked about the David Cromer production. What is it about our town in the 21st century that uh, you would like our audience to know about? Well, first, I want people to know that my opinion and my thoughts of our town are in many ways a synthesis of all the people that I spoke with. Mm. Um, in, in an introduction people didn't hear, you first referred to me as an editor and you re-recorded re it. And I don't say that to embarrass you. I say that because in many ways, that is what I want. I was an interviewer and an editor of people's thoughts. Right. So, so what did I find about our town? I didn't want it to be my opinion of our town. In fact, my opinion doesn't figure anywhere in the book for the most part, except that I wouldn't have written a book about our town if I didn't think it was an important play. And if I didn't want to spend a couple of years of my life on it. Right. But what I found is that the play does not have to be locked in exactly to way it was the way it was done in 1938. And indeed there are artists in the book who explain why they needed to rethink it mm -hmm. so that it was relevant in, in the present day, that the stage manager need not be a woman, that it need not be a man, but can right. be a woman, can be trans or a queer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that character is a blank slate into which you can place any human being. It certainly makes a comment on how you perceive the play and how you perceive the world that, that Wilder was, was depicting. 
then you can cast people of any race and ethnicity. You can cast different ages and still the play comes through, but the play can often take on yet another layer. I, I was fascinated. One of the few productions I didn't get to see that I included in the book was a production at Looking Glass Theater in Chicago, where it was done as a 20th anniversary of the founding of the company. And mm -hmm. they cast as many of the original members as they could, which meant that the whole cast was within a couple of years of 40 years old. Right. Everyone, the parents, the kids, everybody. There were a couple of younger actors from the company who were about 10 years younger, perhaps. So what is it? Well, when you gather a group of people who created a theater, created a community together, and you put them on the stage to, to enact this story, there is something that happens there that isn't what's on the page, but is in no way false to what the play can be about. It is about how these people loved each other, fought with each other, grew together, raised families, and, and where they're at now. So the reflection is fascinating. Seeing it at Sing Sing Prison, which is the final of the oral histories in the book, mm -hmm. I did see the production at Sing Sing, and it was mind-blowing to literally be sitting in the prison watching a group of men tell this story understanding that they're in maximum security. And though we can get their bios, you assume that people in maximum security are there for a while and that they have, they have been convicted rightly or wrongly of very serious crimes. What does this play mean to them? Talking to those men, those men have an appreciation of this play that we will never hopefully experience because of how they perceive time, how they perceive separation from the world for a long period of time. And it was fascinating because some of the men really didn't want to do the play. I spoke with some of those men who were vehemently against doing the play, but didn't want to be left out. So they did it. And they are utter converts mm. to, to Thornton Wilder. I think that is, is what, so you, so you ask what, you know, what do I think people should know about the play? It's, it's that it can say an awful lot of things in an awful lot of different ways. And even in different languages, that there was the Deaf West production, which did it in American Sign Language in English, that there was a trilingual production at Miami New Drama that did it in English, Spanish, and Creole. Mm are all just ways of making people today open and able to appreciate the core messages, not that cars are starting to replace horses in Grover's Corners. Right, right. Well, for anybody interested in anything that we've talked about, I cannot recommend Howard's book uh, enough. Another Day Begun is really fascinating and I think very inspiring. To, to hear all these different, to read all these people's, uh, different people's uh, take on um, this play that we all think we know and what they, what all your interviews I think do is reveal the play even more. 
you know, it tells us what we don't know. Um, it, uh, please go out and get it. It's published by Methune, uh, which is a subsidiary of Bloomsbury. Um, you can follow uh, Howard on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter at uh, H.E. Sherman. Um, and you will not be, uh, uh, you, the book is a, is a definite, you should go out and get that. And your Twitter commentary is also, I think, very uh, important and relevant. And you will learn a lot just by following Howard on Twitter. So uh, thank you, Howard, for uh, coming on today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for putting together this great exhibition. Well, thank you, David, uh, for this opportunity and for the opportunity to be part of that, that exhibition. It's, it sure. was a treat.